Douglas Summers, an Australian Test Cricket History Podcast. Season 2, Episode 10, 1910-11 vs South Africa, Hills of Runs. This is part 2 of our episode covering the 1910-11 tour by South Africa. Part 1 was released last week and covers the first two tests of the five-test series. We resume with the Australians up 2-0. Heading into the third test, the Australians made no changes to their winning combination. The South Africans, after their collapse in the previous test, attempted to strengthen their batting, with Hathorn coming in for Pearce, despite still suffering from his ongoing illness. For the first time in the series, the South Africans were successful at the toss and chose to bat. Sherwell and Zulch opened for the visitors on a fine day. The Adelaide Oval pitch was in good condition and high run scoring was expected. The openers, facing the destroyers in Melbourne of Cotter and Whitty, batted slowly, scoring in singles until the sixth over, when Zulch cut Whitty to the boundary. Zulch was then missed by McCartney at short leg, who juggled but failed to complete a catch. The score moved to 31 in 40 minutes before Armstrong was brought on. He was successful on his second ball, with Sherwell not offering a shot to a straight one that struck him on his pad, with the umpire heeding the appeal. He had made 11 and was replaced by the double centurion from the previous test in Faulkner. Zulch was then again missed by McCartney, although this was a much more difficult chance. Callaway was brought on but was struck for two fours in his first over, bringing up the 50. Armstrong was tidy, but Callaway continued to go for runs, being hit for 10 in his fifth over and being replaced by Cotter. Zulch brought up his 50 just before the interval. Faulkner had reached an untroubled 30, with the team total being 1 for 96 at the break. Zulch brought up the team 100 in the second over after lunch, and Benefit when a wild rancid throw gifted him four overthrows. Zulch was then dropped by Armstrong with a difficult court and bowl chance before McCartney failed to catch him for a third time, missing him in mid-off. Faulkner was providing little in terms of chances and continued to build his total, raising his 50 with a boundary to square leg off Armstrong. The score went past 150 and the partnership had put on 135 runs before they were separated, when Faulkner hit a high ball back over Armstrong's head, only for Hill to run 30 metres and take a splendid catch just inside the boundary. He was dismissed for 56 and had hit 7 fours. He was replaced by Norse, who joined Zulch who had moved into the 90s. Scoring slowed as Norse hit only three singles in 20 minutes, while Sulch was dealing with a nervous 90s. Through singles, he made his way to 99 before he guided Callaway through the slip for three, bringing up his first test century. In the last over before tea, Norse played a ball from Cotter onto his stumps to be out for 10. The players went to the break then, with the South Africans on three for 189. Following the break, Sulch skied a ball in Whitty's first over up to McCartney at mid-off. It was fourth time lucky for the fielder, taking the catch and ending Zulch's innings on 105, he had batted for three hours and hit nine fours in his innings. With two new batsmen at the crease, the South Africans moved past 200. However, they lost Hathorn when he was York by Whitty for nine. Snook joined Llewellyn with a score at five for 205. Both struggled to get away Armstrong's leg theory and had some near misses when big hits fell short of fielders. However, despite rotating through five bowlers, the Australians were unable to separate the two before stumps. The South African pair managed to add a further 74 runs before the close, with both batsmen heading into day two well set in the 30s. Resuming a 5 for 279 after the Sunday rest day, the South Africans were in a strong position. Under clear skies, they resumed with caution. A shot over mid onto the boundary from Snook was the only aggressive shot in the opening overs. The three runs brought up before Snook hit a ball to point. With Armstrong bowling with a pack leg side field, it was up to the keeper Carter to run around to pick it up. He did so, and with a quick throw to the bowler's end, he was able to run out Llewellyn, attempting to complete a second run. He departed for 43, made it over two hours, and shared a 97 run partnership with Snook. Sinclair arrived at 6-302, and Snook brought up his half-century shortly after. 
The Australians were effective at limiting the big hitting Sinclair's boundary opportunities, where he managed to make it to 20 before Callaway was brought on, bowling wide outside off stump with only one fielder on the leg. He attempted a big heave into the vacant territory, but could only top edge a catch to Armstrong at slip. Stricker replaced him and managed to get to lunch without further loss, with Snook having made his way to 67. Resuming at 7 for 348, the South Africans were again cautious, although Snook did manage to find the boundary off McCartney. He moved to 82 before he was missed by Gers at Silly Point off Witty, although it was a difficult chance. Soon after, Snook hit Witty for three boundaries in an over, taking his own score past the century mark, his first in tests. The 400 came up before Cotter was brought back. The fast bowler was immediately successful, catching the edge of Snook's bat to have him caught in the slips. His innings ended on 103, having batted for three and a half hours and hitting 12 boundaries. Short's joint Stricker was nearly out first ball, but Trumper dropped the catch in the slips. Stricker began to be more attacking, taking three boundaries in an over off Witty. This saw Armstrong brought back, who managed to scatter Schwartz's stumps in his second over, dismissing him for 15. Number 11 Pegler joined Stricker at 9 for 429. The two were able to make it a tee with steady batting, taking the total onto 462. Pegler should have been out in the first over after tee, but Armstrong dropped the chance. The score rose to 482 before the final wicket fell, which Stricker dismissed by Armstrong for 48, whilst Pegler was left 24 not out the last pair having frustrated the Australians for 50 minutes in compiling 53 runs. The Australians began their innings with an hour left in the day's play. They switched things up, opening with Callaway and McCartney. Both batsmen took singles off the opening over, but before the total reached double figures, McCartney was out, bowled by Llewellyn for two, continuing a poor run of form that had seen him score only 15 runs for the series. Ransford joined Callaway, and the two made the most of the conditions, running hard between the wickets and taking every opportunity to score. South Africa tried four bowlers, but couldn't produce a chance as the Australians ended day two with a score at 1 for 72, with Callaway on 39 and Ransford 31. The third day started quite hot, but soon after play began, a cool change would make the conditions much more bearable for the players and spectators. Ransford started the day's play with more vigour than his partner, quickly going past his score and raising a half century. However, this is where his innings ended as he missed a ball from Llewellyn to be clean bowled. Bardsley joined Callaway, and the two took the total past 100. Bardsley survived a confident leg before shout went on six, but the next over Callaway got a faint edge and was caught behind off Llewellyn. He had made 47 in nearly two hours with only one boundary. Trumper joined Bardsley at three for 111, and the two managed to get through a further 30 minutes of play without loss, taking the Australians to three for 141 at lunch. Following the break, Trumper hit the first boundary of the day, glancing Sinclair to fine leg. This opened the floodgates. Trumper launched into his unrivaled range of strokes, hitting Llewellyn for four before taking Sinclair for three boundaries in the next over. Faulkner was tried, but Trumper took a further two boundaries in his opening over. This spree allowed Trumper to go past Bardsley and raise his 50, with a 200 coming up shortly after. Bardsley, who was struggling with the wrist injury he suffered in Melbourne, was more circumspect, but he too raised a half century after being at the crease for an hour and a half. Norse was introduced to the attack, and this brought about the breakthrough, trapping Bardsley LBW for 54. He'd only hit 1-4, but he shared a 116-run stand with Trumper. Gers joined the not-out batsman, who was on 68, at 4 for 227. Both batsmen scored quickly, with Gers in particular being successful on the drive. They added 49 runs in 30 minutes before Gers departed, caught off the bowling of Faulkner for 20. Hometown hero Hill received a rapturous reception, but like all before him, he was playing second fiddle to the majesty of Trumper. The great batsman soon after brought up his century with a drive for 4 off Faulkner, his second consecutive 100 and his 7th in Tess. Hill was then caught, but the umpire's call of no ball saved him. The two made it to tee with the Australians on 5 for 295, with Trumper on 109 and Hill on 7. The 300 came up shortly after the resumption, 
but soon after Hill attempted a big shot and was well caught in the outfield off Schwartz of 16. He was replaced at the crease by Armstrong. After a slow start, the new batsman opened his account with an off-drive off Llewellyn for four. Meanwhile, Trumper took 10 off a Pegler over with two more boundaries. His 150 came up soon after, as the score continued to climb past 350. 65 runs came in the three quarters of an hour between the two batsmen before Armstrong was dismissed for 30, bowled by Sinclair. Carter joined Trumper with a score at 7 for 384. Trumper continued to attack, taking Pegler for three successive fours, bringing up the team 400. Carter joined in, square-cutting Sinclair twice to the boundary. Schwartz was walked back and struck in his first over, trapping Carter LBW for 15. Number 10 Cotter was next in, and the focus was on if Trumper could reach his double century before the close of play. He entered the 190s with a boundary off Norse, but then slowed his scoring. He moved through the 190s with 1s and 2s, and brought up the double century milestone with an off-drive off Schwartz. He managed to score another 8 runs before the close of play, taking his total to 208, and the Australians to 8 for 458 at the end of the third day, still trailing the South Africans by 24 runs. The Australian innings was wrapped up quickly on the fourth morning. Llewellyn caught the edge of Cotter's bat, and he was well caught in the slips. Woody hung around long enough for Trumper to go past Murdoch's Australian record score of 211 before he was last out, caught behind off Sinclair for one. Trumper remained a chanceless 214 not out, one of the most majestic innings ever played on Australian soil. He had batted for four hours and hit 26 boundaries as the Australians posted 465, 17 short of the South Africans. Llewellyn led the way with four wickets for 107 runs, while Schwartz and Sinclair claimed two each. The South Africans commenced their second innings with Zulch and Sherwell at the crease. Zulch scored the first runs with the edge through slips for four. In Whitty's next over though, Sherwell's trapped LBW for one. He was replaced by Faulkner. The two batsmen then batted cautiously and built the total to 29 before an inswinger from Whitty was clipped down the leg side by Zulch and well caught by Carter, with the batsmen departing for 14. Norse arrived at number four and continued in the fashion of the partnership before. Armstrong was tried and restricted the scoring further, but was unable to cause a separation, with the South Africans going to lunch at 2 for 54. Runs continued to be added slowly after the break, with tight bowling from Cotter and Whitty being backed up by excellent fielding. The batsmen were up to it though, and after an hour's batting after lunch, they had raised their total to 100. The partnership had been together for an hour and a half before they were separated, with Norse edging a ball from Callaway to Armstrong at slip to be out for 39. He shared a 77-run stand with Faulkner, and was replaced by Stricker. Stricker started positively with an off-drive off Armstrong for four, whilst Faulkner brought up his second half-century of the match, having batted for over two hours in doing so. McCartney was brought on, and in his second over secured his first wicket of the series, bowling Stricker for six. Llewellyn then joined Faulkner, who managed to take his own score on to 66 by the time Teague was taken. Resuming on 4 for 127 with a lead of 144, Llewellyn punished the first over delivered by Cotter, hitting him for 12 runs. For the first time in the innings, the runs were flowing quickly. Hill rotated his bowlers, but couldn't stop Faulkner in particular, who began to push towards a century. He managed to reach the milestone after just over three hours at the crease, his second century in consecutive tests. Llewellyn was providing good support, and the partnership went past 100 before Faulkner was finally dismissed, caught in the slips off Whitty for 115. He batted for almost as long as Trumper had for his double century, and hit 10 boundaries in his innings. Pegler joined Llewellyn at 5 for 228, and through able to see South Africa through the stumps with the further four runs added to the total, taking the lead to 249. Llewellyn, resuming on 44, slowly went past his half-century at the beginning of day five, with Pegler doing most of the scoring. The two batsmen managed to take the score on to 273 before Callaway had Pegler miscuing a ball to point, where Cotter took an easy catch. He departed for 26, with Snook joining Llewellyn, who had moved to 60. 
Neither batsman showed much inclination to attack the bowling, looking to grind out as much of a lead as possible. They managed to take the South African total past 300, going to lunch at 6 of 303, with Llewellyn having moved on to 75. Little changed after lunch until Llewellyn attempted a quick single to mid-off. Woody picked up the ball and returned it to Carter with a sharp throw, catching Snook short and seeing him depart for 25. Two runs later, Llewellyn's three-and-a-half-hour innings ended when he bottom-edged a cut shot onto his stumps, having made 80, with Witty claiming his fourth wicket of the innings. Hathorn could only manage two before being bowled by Witty. This left the last pair of Sinclair and Schwartz. They produced the most lively batting of the innings, with Sinclair taking 14 off an Armstrong over. He was given a life when Gers dropped him in the outfield, but after hitting another boundary off Witty, he was caught at long by Hill. He made 29 with five fours, while Schwartz was not out 11, as the South Africans finished with 360. Witty was a pick of the bowlers, taking 6 for 104, whilst Callaway claimed 2. The Australians were set a total of 378 for victory. The five-day-old pitch was still playing well, although signs of wear and tear were beginning to show. Trumper and Bardsley opened for the Australians and made the bowling look easy, looking to put the visitors on the back foot. The South Africans attempted to bowl wide the stumps to Trumper with a packed offside field, but the great batsman showed the folly of that by continuously finding the vacant leg side. 50 runs came in under half an hour before the South Africans turned to Llewellyn and Pegler. Llewellyn worked over Trumper, varying his pace and lengths before beating him in flight to bowl him for 28. Hill came to the crease at 1 for 63 to join Bartsley, who had moved into the 30s. Hill started with an off-drive for four off Llewellyn and quickly reached 20 with multiple boundaries. Bardsley matched him for run scoring and brought up his half-century shortly after the total went past 100. Falkland was introduced for the first time with a score at 122 and immediately broke the partnership, having Bardsley caught and bowled for 58, an innings that included six boundaries. New batsman Callaway was nearly out in Falkland's second over, but the ball was just out of reach of first slip. Callaway batted much more freely in the second innings he had in the first. Meanwhile, Hill, upon reaching 41, went past 3,000 test runs, the first batsman in history to do so. He quickly moved from here to reach his 50, made in just over an hour. Schwartz and Sinclair, who had both been tried unsuccessfully earlier, were brought back towards the end of the day. Sinclair managed to secure the wicket of Hill, caught in the boundary for 55. In the next over, Schwartz had a new batsman Ransford out for a second ball duck. The Australians had lost two for one. Carter joined Callaway, and the two batted out the remaining time before the end of the day. The Australians finishing on 4 for 187, 191 runs short of victory. The two late wickets the previous day had evened out the match, with both sides in good positions to win. The South Africans made the first steps toward victory, having Carter caught at cover off Faulkner for 11 without addition to the overnight total. This saw Armstrong join Callaway with half the Australian side back in the pavilion. The South Africans bowled a tight line and the 200 was reached with difficulty, with Callaway bringing up the milestone with a pull shot for four. He then stepped out and hit Sinclair to the long-on fence, bringing up his half-century. Callaway also benefited with four overthrows from a wild return from Llewellyn. Armstrong also began to find the boundary, and before long 250 was raised, with the match aggregate becoming the highest in test history to that point. After putting on 76 together, the partnership was broken, with Callaway faintly edging a ball behind off Sinclair to be out for 65, made in just over two hours. Gers joined Armstrong and started strongly, driving his first two balls for four. He followed this up with another boundary his next over, and he quickly raced to 16. The runs of victory required went under 100, but here Armstrong fell, bowled by Schwartz of 48. The next ball, the horribly out of form McCartney was trapped LBW by the same bowler. Lunch was then taken, the Australians now on 8 for 285, still requiring 93 for victory. Cotter joined Gers after the break with the South Africans in the box seat. Gers could only add a further 4 runs to his total before his caught behind off Schwartz for 22. With the last pair together and still over 80 needed, the Australians would require a miracle. 
The two decided to attack, with Cotter hitting Sinclair into the grandstand for six and then hitting Pegler twice before in and over. The 300 was raised and Cotter celebrated by hitting Schwartz into the neighbouring park for his second six. The last pair managed to add 47 runs and just as the crowd was entertaining the hope of victory, Witty hit Schwartz to mid-on to be out for 11, ending the match. Cotter had made an entertaining 36 not out, the Australians fell 38 runs short at 339, giving the South Africans their first victory against Australia and their first overseas win. Schwartz finished with 4 for 48, while Sinclair and Faulkner both claimed 2, as the series now stood at 2-1, heading into the fourth test in Melbourne. There was over a month between the ending of the third test and the beginning of the fourth. During this time, the South Africans travelled to Tasmania, playing two first-class matches. The first ended in a South African victory in Launceston against a side that featured future Australian fast bowler Ted McDonald, whilst the match in Hobart was a rain-affected draw. They returned to Victoria and after two minor matches faced Victoria for the second time on the tour. The South Africans continued their good form, winning by six wickets, with North scoring a century and Faulkner taking 11 wickets for the match. The final Shield match of the season was played during this time between the tests, with New South Wales beating Victoria by 456 runs, where an unknown spinner named Herbert Horden made his Shield debut, having played twice already for New South Wales against Queensland that year, and took 13 wickets with his leg breaks and googlies. This win saw New South Wales claim the Shield for that year. Horden, who was known as Ranji after the famous Indian and England batsman due to his dark complexion, had trained as a dentist but perfected his bowling skills whilst living in North America. Horden's extraordinary performance catapulted him into the Australian squad for the fourth test. He ended up taking the place of McCartney, who had little impact in the previous three tests. Meanwhile, the South Africans dropped Hathorne and brought in Vogler to their 11. The start of the match had been delayed for almost a week due to rain. When play was able to commence, South Africa won the toss and chose the field hoping to take advantage of what was expected to be good bowling conditions. Fortunately for the Australians, the groundskeeper had the discretion to cover wickets before a test began, but couldn't do so once the match commenced. Therefore, the wicket was in much better condition than was expected. Trumper and Bardsley began for the Australians, whilst Llewellyn and Faulkner took the ball. The score hadn't reached double figures before the first wicket fell, with the informed Trumper bowled by Faulkner for seven. Hill came in at number three and hit aggressively, striking Faulkner to the boundary and taking three off the next ball. However, a quicker one from the Welland soon sent the Australian captain packing, bowling him for 11. The South Africans had made a positive start, with the Australians struggling at 2 for 24. Armstrong joined Bardsley, who was struggling to hit it off the square. The new batsman took control, quickly racing into double figures and injuring Llewellyn's hand in the process, causing him to be replaced by Schwartz. The score quickly moved past 50, with Bardsley hitting his first boundary off Schwartz. After some running repairs, Llewellyn returned, but then light rain began to make gripping the ball difficult, handicapping the bowlers. The batsmen were able to keep scoring quickly up to lunch, with the Australian able to go to the break at 2 for 104. Following lunch, Bardsley moved to 46 before he hit a catch to Stricker at square leg. The fielder dropped a simple chance, however, with Bardsley taking advantage by cutting the next ball for four to bring up his 50. Soon after, Bardsley hit a no ball into the outfield. The batsman completed one and Armstrong turned for a second, but Bardsley refused to leave his crease, leading to Armstrong being caught short of his ground for 48. The two had put on a century stand, with Gers replacing Armstrong at 3 for 126. Gers hit a Faulkner full toss to the boundary, but the introduction of Vogler saw his downfall, as he was stumped for 9. Callaway joined Bardsley, with the set batsman currently on 67. The light rain returned, once again making bowling difficult. The rain also meant the outfield slowed, meaning most of the runs were coming in ones and twos. The score rose steadily until Bardsley, who had reached 82, was well caught low down at square leg off the bowling of Pegler. With five wickets gone, Ransford joined Callaway. Both batsmen had some close calls, but managed to see the Australians through to tee, with 216 on the board. 
In a second over after the break, Bransford, who was on 23, was missed in a slips-off pegler. He followed up by hitting a boundary off the next ball. Sinclair and Vogler were tried, but had little impact, with Ransford taking Vogler for seven in two balls. He went past Callaway, and, with runs coming freely, he brought up a half-century. Ten runs were taken off another Vogler over, and he was replaced by Faulkner, with Callaway bringing up his own 50 after two hours at the crease. The score reached 282, bringing up a century stand. However, seven runs later, Callaway became the second run out of the innings, hesitating on a quick single. His 59 was a typical Callaway innings, focused on grinding down the bowling. Cotter joined Ransford, and soon afterwards, a skied ball that fell safely in the outfield saw the 300 come up. Pegler was brought on, and his opening over clean bowl Cotter for 10. Horden arrived at the crease for his first test inning shortly before Stumps. The pair made it to the last over before Ransford was trapped LBW by Schwartz to be out for 75, having hit three boundaries in his innings. This Reigns ended the day at 8 for 317, a good result given they had been sent in. Under clear skies, the South Africans were able to wrap up the innings quickly on day two. 11 runs were added before new batsman Carter was run out attempting a second. Without addition, Horden was caught at mid-on off Pegler, ending the Australian innings at 328. Pegler was the pick of the eight bowlers used, taking three for 40. Sulchan's trigger commenced for the South Africans, but disaster struck when Zulch was run out with only seven on the board. Faulkner then hit the first boundaries of the innings, striking Witty for two drives either side of the stumps. Horden was brought on in the seventh over, replacing Cotter. The first ball of his second over clean bowled trigger for four. Norse joined Faulkner at two for 23. Faulkner hit a third boundary, this time a drive off Horden, but soon after caught a cover off the same bowler for 20. Newman Snook could only manage a single before being yorked by Witty, while Sinclair didn't get off the mark when he swung across the line against Horden and was clean bowled. The South Africans had collapsed to 5 for 38, with lunch being taken at the fall of the fifth wicket. Amongst the 20,000 spectators at the ground was former Australian captain Billy Murdoch. He was visiting Australia from his adopted home of England and had been in the MCC rooms when he suffered a seizure. Doctors attempted to revive him, but he was declared dead at the ground. The 56-year-old had played 18 tests for Australia and one for England, leading the Australians in 16 matches, including the famous Ashes Test in 1882. He was considered the equal of the great W.G. Grace in batting ability for a time, and set the standard for Australian batsmen to come. New batsman Schwartz had some lucky escapes, twice skying balls that just fell out of reach of the fielders. He was able to cut Whitty to the boundary and help take the score past 50, but soon after was bowled for 18. The South African captain Sherwell joined Norse, who had ground his way to 20, with a score at 6 for 65, still 263 behind the Australians. It took Sherwell 15 minutes to score his first run, whilst Norse started to bat more expansively, driving Witty for four, followed by three next ball. Sherwell then took a boundary off the Australian left armour, with Armstrong replacing him soon after. Another four for Sherwell, this time off Horden, brought up 100. In Horden's next over, the bowler attempted to stop a powerful drive, but only managed to succeed in dislocating the middle finger of his bowling hand. He had to go off the ground, and was replaced at the bowling crease by Callaway. The following was averted and was soon followed by Norse bringing up his half-century. The two were able to take the South Africans through to tee at 6 for 147, a much improved position from the previous break. Upon the resumption, the score moved to 156 before Sherwell skied Witty to mid-off and departed for 41, having added 91 runs with Norse. Norse took his totals into the 70s with a square cut-off Witty, but lost his new partner Llewellyn to the same bowler when he was clean bowl for 7. Running out of partners, Norse started to look for the boundaries, hitting Callaway to find leg and driving Witty. New batsman Pegler also found the boundary twice, taking the total past 200 before he was caught at deep point for 15 off Cotter. Final batsman Vogler could only last two balls before he was bowled by the Australian speedster, ending the innings. Norse was left a defiant 92 not out, 
having batted for almost three hours in the South African total of 205. Whitty was the pick of the bowlers with 4 for 78, whilst Horden claimed 3 for 39 on debut. There was still half an hour remaining, and the Australians looked to quickly expand their lead of 103. Callaway and Gers opened, and each hit Sinclair for a boundary in the opening over. Gers continued in this vein, hitting Schwartz to the boundary twice in an over. The total raced to 48 by the end of the day, but a poorly called run saw Callaway depart for 18, closing the second day. Bardsley came to the crease at the beginning of day three, joining Gers, who was 30 not out. Both teams wore black armbands to show respect for the memory of Murdoch. An injured fingered for Llewellyn meant he was unable to take his place on the field, costing the visitors a crucial bowling option. The batting conditions were most favourable and the Australians took full advantage. The South African bowlers maintained good lines and lengths, but runs came with regularity. Gers was able to bring up his half-century and followed up with a boundary off Schwartz. He should have been out next ball, but Sinclair dropped a chance at square leg. Bardsley had taken his score to 15 before he attempted a quick single and was run out with a sharp throw from Vogler. He departed with the score at 88 and was replaced by Armstrong. The new batsman started positively, taking three consecutive boundaries off Sinclair to bring up the 100. Faulkner was then tried for the first time and struck immediately, having Gers caught at slip first ball. He had made 58 with six boundaries and was replaced with his captain Hill. Armstrong was struggling against Swartz and was lucky to survive an LBW shout. However, runs flowed at the other end, including off Faulkner, and the Australians were able to take their total 3 for 155 at the lunch break, with Armstrong on 40 and Hill 24. Following the break, Hill attacked the bowling. He took boundaries and consecutive overs off Faulkner, and also found runs much easier to come by off Schwartz and his partner. He quickly raced past Armstrong's score, and was able to bring up his half-century with a 12-run over off Faulkner. Schwartz was replaced, and this allowed Armstrong to break the shackles, bringing up his own half-century with a drive off Sulch. Sulch only lasted an over before he was replaced by Snook, who was cut first ball to the boundary by Hill, bringing up the century stand, before Hill struck the same bowler for two fours in his next over. By now, no bowler could contain the Australian captain, who was hitting boundaries off all the options Sherwell tried. A boundary off Faulkner took him into the 90s, and three overs later his century came up with a single off Pegler, his seventh in Tess. However, later in the same over, his innings ended with a fabulous legside stumping from Sherwell, terminating the 154-run stand between Hill and Armstrong. South Africa's problems, though, were about to go from bad to worse for the arrival of Trumper at 4 for 260. Armstrong moved into the 70s with a boundary off Sinclair, whilst Trumper showed supreme time with a check drive that raced to the boundary. More loose balls allowed both batsmen to capitalise, whilst Armstrong was dropped on 84 by Sinclair. A Trumper cut for four off Schwartz took the total past 300, while shortly after Armstrong was able to bring up his century off Stricker. Trumper cut Schwartz to the boundary to the end of the session, the Australians having moved to 324, with Armstrong at 102 and Trumper at 30. Trumper began after tea with a boundary off Sinclair. More quick run scoring followed, with another boundary off Sinclair bringing up Trumper's half-century. The bowlers continued to be rotated with regularity, but nothing could contain the pair. A boundary for Trumper off Schwartz took the score to 377, meaning the lead was now 500. At 391, the ninth bowler was tried, with Vogler brought to the bowling crease. This finally brought about the breakthrough, when Trumper, who had made his way to 87, was caught behind. He batted for 79 minutes and hit 11 fours, sharing a 143-run stand with Armstrong. Ramster replaced him, but shortly afterwards Armstrong departed, caught behind off Vogler. He'd been overshadowed somewhat by both the efforts of Hill and Trumper, but still managed to compile 132 runs in three and a half hours with 13 boundaries. Vogler then struck for the third time, having caught a quarter point for a first ball duck. The Australians are now 7 for 420, having lost 3 for 17 since Trumper's departure, although their lead now extended to 543. Horden, recovered from his dislocated finger the previous day, then arrived at the crease. 
In partnership with Ransford, the two hit regular boundaries, keeping the scoring rate up until the end of the day. With Ransford on 38 and Horton on 23, the Australians finished day three at 7 for 476, a lead one short of 600. There was no taking the foot off the throat of the South Africans despite the massive lead the Australians had. They continued batting on the fourth day, with Ransford doing most of the scoring. Horden battled and only added one to his overnight total before he was caught off the bowling of Schwartz. Carter joined Ransford, who brought up his half-century, but the Australian keeper could only manage two before he was caught at short leg off Faulkner. Woody joined Ransford at 9 for 496. Any South African hopes of quickly wrapping up the innings though were dashed as the pair brought up the 500 and continued to find boundaries consistently, with Pegler in particular coming in for punishment. They put on 50 runs in 30 minutes, with Ransford moving into the 80s and Woody going on to his highest test score. Ransford was able to take his total to 95 before he's bowled off his pad by Faulkner, having batted for two and a half hours and hitting nine boundaries, sharing an 85-run stand for the last wicket. Woody was left 39 not out, as the Australians posted a mammoth 578. Faulkner and Vogel had both claimed three wickets each, but of all the nine bowlers used, only Faulkner had gone at under four and over. With an impossible target of 702 for victory, the South Africans commenced their innings with Zulch and Stricker. The first wicket fell in the third over, as Stricker was caught behind off Cotter for a duck, and he was replaced by Faulkner. Zulch managed to hit 12 runs off the next over, including two boundaries, but was then caught in the slips off Cotter for 15. Norse joined Faulkner at 2 for 25. Faulkner was batting in his usual form, cutting Cotter for 4 and dispatching a witty full toss to the leg boundary. Norse also joined in, driving Callaway for a crisp boundary. The 50 came up after 40 minutes, upon which Cotter was replaced by Horden. The leg spinner was struggling with his injury and went for runs early, but then settled into a good length. Deep set fields then meant the scoring was raised only in singles for quite a while until Faulkner edged Callaway to the boundary. At the other end, Norsen made his way to 28 before he padded a catch back to Horden, sending him back to the pavilion. New batsman Sook was then nearly bowled first ball, but helped take the score past 100 before missing an expansive stroke and being clean bowled by Horden. The players then adjourned for team, with Faulkner on 48. Sinclair came to the crease after the break, with Faulkner bringing up his fifth score of 50 or above in the series. Faulkner was then missed by Whitney, although the return chance was off a very hard hit and caused the bowler to leave the field for a time. Armstrong was brought on, but Sinclair launched him out of the ground for six. Not to be outdone, Faulkner hit Horton into the members' pavilion for the same result. More boundaries followed, but then Sinclair was trapped in front by Horton, departing for 19 with a score at 151. The end would then come quickly for the South Africans. Witty returned to the field and immediately dismissed the new batsman Schwartz, caught behind for one. The next over saw both new batsman Sherwell and Faulkner missed in consecutive balls, but off the final ball, Sherwell's caught a point for a duck, giving Horton his fourth wicket. Faulkner, who had managed to reach 80, then departed, bowled by Witty attempting a big swipe across the line. He had batted for just over two hours, hitting nine fours and a six. Pegler hit Horton to the fence, but next ball spooned a catch to cover. With the well and unable to bat, that ended the South African innings on 171, leading to a mammoth loss by 530 runs, the biggest margin in tests to date, a record that would stand until 1928. Horden, despite his injury, was the pick of the bowlers, taking 5 for 66 off 14 overs, whilst Cotter and Witty both claimed two. This win gave the Australians an unbeatable 3-1 lead going into the fifth test in Sydney. Prior to the final test, the South Africans played their second tour game against New South Wales. The star for the home side was the man left out of the previous test, Charlie McCartney, who scored a century in each innings. The South Africans were set 487 for victory, making a big chase of it as Faulkner and North shared a 318-run stand for the third wicket, but eventually fell 44 runs short. McCartney's feat was too big for the selectors to ignore, recalling him for the final test in place of Gers. For the South Africans, Llewellyn had recovered, allowing him to take his place in the side. 
The only change made was to bring in Pierce in place of Vogler. Rain on the morning of the match delayed the start until after 2pm. When the toss was made and Sherwell won, he chose to send the Australians in, hoping to take advantage of the conditions. Callaway and McCartney opened for the Australians, but Sherwell's choice looked like an inspired one when, after taking the first ball for two, Callaway edged the second ball from the well into slip and departed. However, this was the extent of the visitors' early success. Horden was sent in and, in combination with McCartney, the two built the Australian total at a decent pace. Forgan was tried, and McCartney struck two boundaries in his opening over. The score was raised to 50 without issue before Sinclair was brought on. A sharply rising ball struck Horden on the shoulder, whilst another from Faulkner was chopped just past the stumps from the same batsman. For the most part, though, the bowling was poor, as short-length balls were continually dispatched to the leg boundary. Schwartz was tried, with McCartney taking 10 from an over, bringing up his half-century and the team 100. Horden was also building his total and reached his half-century after an hour and a half at the crease. However, this is where his innings ended as he was trapped in front by Sinclair. He shared a 124-run stand with McCartney and was replaced by Bardsley. The new batsman gave a sharp chance early, but no further losses were suffered, with the Australians on 2 for 136 at the break, McCartney having moved to 75 not out. The total quickly moves past 150 before a period of quiet descended on the run scoring as the South Africans finally found a good line in length. Bardsley did the majority of the run scoring as McCartney slowed down as he approached his first test century. As the bowlers tied and had to be changed, the run scoring picked up again, with the Australians able to take their total past 200. Bardsley brought up his half-century with a single off Pierce, whilst in the same over McCartney brought up three figures to an enthusiastic response from his home crowd. All the gremlins from the pitch had disappeared now, and the batsmen played with freedom. Bardsley hit Pierce twice to the grandstand in an over, whilst McCartney did the same to Pedler. Another two boundaries saw the score go past 250 and McCartney into the 130s, whilst a misfield in the outfield gave Bardsley another four. Just before the close of play, McCartney was struck in front of the stumps by a straight one from Schwartz and was given out for 137. He batted for just over three hours, hitting 19 fours and didn't provide a chance. Whitty was sent in and survived to the close of play, the Australians finishing the day having been sent in on three for 281, with Bardsley on 83 not out. The conditions on the second day were splendid, with 25,000 packing the SCG to witness the play. Whitty was immediately under pressure, surviving a run-out chance when his back got in the way of a return throw, as well as numerous LBW shouts not given. His luck couldn't last forever though. He hit one boundary off Llewellyn, but skied a catch attempting a second, with Norse running around to complete the dismissal. He departed for 13 and was replaced by Trumper, who started with three imperious boundaries off Llewellyn. The score went past 300 as Bardsley went into the 90s. However, as a century beckoned, he played a simple caught and bold chance back to Sinclair, departing for 94, made with nine boundaries. Five wickets had fallen for 317 as Hill joined Trumper. The first ball Hill faced just missed the stumps, but then he settled in, finding a boundary off Llewellyn. Trumper continued the same vein as earlier, striking another boundary off the same bowler. However, a change of bowling brought him undone, as a googly from Schwartz found the gap between bat and pad to bowl in for 31. Armstrong was out in the same over, caught at mid on for a duck. The trains were now 7 for 346. In Schwartz's next over, he had Hill stump for 13. The last two wickets also fell in the same fashion, with Sherwell's wicket-keeping coming in for praise. The Australian innings ended on 364. Schwartz ended with figures of 6-47, for 47, having taken 5-6 for six in his spell that ripped through the Australians, whilst Llewellyn and Sinclair both took two. The pitch was in good condition for the South Africans' response. They opened with Pierce and Zulch. Zulch took four off the first over from Cotter, but then Pierce departed for a duck, bowled by Witty. Faulkner replaced him and started positively, square-driving Witty and glancing Cotter for boundaries. Hill then turned to Horden. Faulkner handled the googly bottle a lot more comfortably than Zulch, who scratched his way to 15 before a googly beat him and was stumped by Carter. 
Newman North focused on defence. The total patrol passed 50, with Faulkner doing the bulk of the scoring. He moved into the 40s, whilst Norse took half an hour to make three before the introduction of Armstrong saw him depart. Bowled off the bottom edge. Faulkner was joined by Stricker with a score at 3 for 70. Faulkner cut Armstrong to the boundary to bring up his half century, while Stricker drove Horden for four. However, Faulkner played late to a ball that dipped off the pitch from Armstrong and was bowled, having made 52 with six boundaries. Sinclair could only manage a single before being caught on the boundary off Horden. T was then taken, with the South Africans teetering at 5 for 87. Snook combined with Stricker after the break, and through careful batting took the score past 100. Cotter was bowling fast, and there were numerous plays and misses. However, it was Horden who got the breakthrough, beating Snook's defence and bowling it for 18. He was replaced by Llewellyn, who started positively with a boundary first ball. Shortly after though, Stricker departed for 19, having batted for almost an hour, caught off Horden. The South Africans were in dire straits at 7 for 128, still well short of the follow-on target. New batsman Schwartz managed to hit two boundaries off Horden, was then caught short of his ground by a throw from Cotter. Sherwell joined Llewellyn and the two added 16 before both were out in consecutive deliveries. Llewellyn to Callaway for 24 and Sherwell to Weedy for 5, ending the innings. The South Africans only managed to score 160, with Horden taking 4 for 73, whilst Witty and Armstrong took two wickets each. Trailing by 204, South Africa were asked to bat a game. Sherwell and Zulch open, with Sherwell scoring a run a minute 14 before being clean bowled by Armstrong. Peckler came to the crease, and the two saw out the end of the day, with the South Africans finishing on 1 for 33, still 171 runs from making the Australians bat a game. Following the rest day, the South African second innings resumed. The score was comfortably raised to 64 before the introduction of Horden, who immediately broke the partnership, with Peckler caught at mid-off for 26. This brought Fortness to the crease. For the last time in the test, he gave a display that wowed the crowds. At the other end, Zilch was lucky to survive as Carter fumbled a stumping opportunity. Meanwhile, Callaway was brought on, but Faulkner struck him for three boundaries in an over. He did the same to Horden a few overs later, quickly racing past his partner's score and seeing the three figures raised. McCartney and Armstrong were tried, but could do little to stop the Faulkner onslaught. He raced past 50 in 47 minutes and went to lunch in the 60s. Zulch was on 38 as the South Africans made 2 for 148 at the break. Zulch received a second life straight after lunch, with an edge off Cotter being dropped by Callaway. He soon moved past 50 with some crisp drives, whilst Faulkner continued to excite, late cutting Cotter to take him into the 80s. Zulch was becoming more confident, scoring more freely off Horden, whilst Armstrong also went for runs. The double hundred was raised and the deficit was wiped. However, with the visitors only in the lead by three runs, Faulkner departed for 92, bowled by Cotter. He batted for 107 minutes and hit 10 fours, with his efforts in this innings meaning he'd aggregate over 100 runs in each of the five tests, an outstanding achievement. Norse replaced him after the 143-run stand and batted in a defensive style. Zulch continued to give chances, with Hill dropping him on 69. The two made it through to T with a score on 245, with Zulch on 85 and Norse 16. Zulch wasted little time in reaching his century after the break, with two boundaries and an over off Cotter sealing the milestone, his second of the series. The score moved on to 278 before Norse was dismissed for 28, caught off the bowling of Witty, having shared a 71-run stand with Zulch. Stricker came to the crease at 4 for 278. He watched as Zulch treated Horden with disdain, lofting his first ball of the spell for 4 and hitting two other boundaries in the same over, with 300 coming up shortly after. Stricker followed by pulling Armstrong to the boundary and worked hard by running numerous ones and twos. As the day approached its end, Ramses was tried, his first appearance at the bowling crease in his 15th test. Zulch, meanwhile, had raised his score to 150 before he attempted to play one of Ramses' slow left arms to leg, missed, and was bowled.
He batted close to five hours and hit 15 boundaries, taking the South Africans to five for 357. Snook joined Stricker, who took his total to 42 before Cotter scattered his stumps in the last over of the day. This left the South Africans at 6 for 368 at the close of play, a lead of 155, giving them some hope of a miracle win. The South Africans were hoping for a big wag of their tail on the fourth morning. Sinclair joined Snook at the crease, but the big hitter was kept quiet by good bowling. The pair took the score to 385 before Snook departed for 12, caught behind off Witty. Witty then claimed Sinclair for 12, before Llewellyn departed for 3. The final pair took the score past 400 before Horden ended the innings by trapping Pierce LBW. Witty took 4 wickets in the second innings, taking his series tally to 37, the most claimed by any bowler in a single series, whilst Horden and Cotter both took 2. This left the Australians with a tricky chase of 198 for victory. First inning Centurion McCartney opened with Bardsley and the two started brightly. McCartney hit the first four off Llewellyn whilst hitting two more off Schwartz. The Australians went to lunch then, none down for 37. Little changed after the break. Runs came rapidly with McCartney hitting regular boundaries, bringing up the 50. McCartney was able to reach his own half century with Bardsley only barely into double figures. He departed soon after though, caught in the outfield off a Schwartz full toss. His 56 had been made in only 40 minutes and included seven boundaries. Trumper then arrived with 124 still required for victory. He batted with more restraint than in the first innings, but runs were still easy to come by, with the 100 coming up with an off-drive for four off Schwartz. Faulkner was tried, but Trumper hit him twice to the leg boundary. Bardsley had carefully moved to 39 before being bowled by a Norse inswinger. Next ball, Ramsford departed in the same fashion. The Australians are now 3 for 134, with still 64 required. Callaway survived the hat-trick ball, however, and from here little threat in the Australians' march to victory. Both batsmen hit boundaries taking the runs required to under 50. Trumper brought up his own half century by hitting a Norse full toss to the boundary. The pair kept whittling away at the target, reducing it to single figures before a boundary from each ended the match with the Australians winning by 7 wickets. Trumper finished on 74 whilst Callaway posted 24 as the Australians ended the 5 test series emphatic 4-1 victors. The series came down to the Australians just having more options with the bat and the ball to put on significant scores and take key wickets. Trumper led the way with 661 runs at 94, including two centuries and two fifties. He was well supported by Bardsley with 573 runs, whilst Armstrong and Hill both total over 400. Ransford and Callaway both made solid contributions, whilst McCartney's final test marked a good comeback after only scoring 15 runs in the first three tests. Witty was a standout bowler, taking 37 wickets at 17, whilst he was well supported by his opening partner Cotter, who took 22 at 28. The addition of Horden in the final two tests added a key point of difference, with the googly bowler claiming 14 wickets at 21 in his two matches. For the South Africans, Faulkner stood as a colossus. Across the five tests, he scored a record 732 runs at 73, with two hundreds and five fifties, an aggregate that still stands as a South African record for a series. He lacked support, however, with only Norse providing reliable runs with 302 at 38. Sulch hit two hundreds, but only scored 100 more runs in eight innings. The bowling, which was relying on its spinners, lacked penetration. Schwartz was a standout, with 25 wickets at 26, but the rest found it difficult to take wickets cheaply. The next best wicket takers being Llewellyn with 14 and Faulkner 10, but the pair took their wickets at 39 and 54 runs respectively, with Vogler especially being a disappointment with only 4 wickets at 44 despite his strong reputation. The South Africans had some consolation with a six-wicket victory in their final first-class match against South Australia before the tour ended. Overall, they had five wins, two draws, and three losses in their ten first-class matches outside the tests, only failing to beat New South Wales of the Australian states.
Norton Faulkner both total over 1,000 first-class runs for the tour, while Schwartz with 59 and Faulkner 49 wickets led the bowling. The tour marked the last time that key figures in early South African cricket would feature in Sinclair and Sherwell. Sinclair was the first batsman that stood out for South Africa and scored the first three test centuries for that country. Sherwell, as wicketkeeper, played a big part in the success of the South African googly bowlers, taking 20 stumpings across his career and leading them to both their first test and series victories. Despite the on-field success, the tour ended up being a financial loss for the Australian board, the result being it would be 20 years before the South Africans would be invited to tour a game. For the Australians, it showed that the transition from the captaincy of Noble to Hill had little impact on the performance of the side, with newer players stepping up in responsibility. It would not be long before the Australians faced their next big challenge, however, with a tour by England due the next summer. However, the English weren't the biggest threat to Australian cricket. Rather, it was the anger and distrust that was festering between the players and administrators that would culminate in a selection room brawl to determine who would stand triumphant. Thank you for listening. New episodes of Endless Summons will be released fortnightly. Please subscribe to be notified of new releases. You can also follow us on Twitter at pod underscore endless, and you can email us at endlesssummerpod at gmail.com.